Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Lucy Hickmott. It's Tuesday the 21st of January. Coming up, thousands of exclusions at secondary schools. Within that, there'll be a number of youngsters who'll be being excluded on a number of occasions. The repeat offenders, as it were. Fears of more overcrowding on high-speed trains. Those passengers who are rightly complaining about having to stand every day, having paid for expensive season tickets, may not be even to be able to get on the train. And calls for more funding for sitting volleyball. If they had an injection of cash, the popularity in this would just go through the roof. Kent Online News. Figures show pupils are being temporarily excluded from secondary schools in Kent and Medway more times than anywhere else in the southeast. According to data released in Ofsted's annual report, there were almost 10,500 fixed period exclusions last year. But in terms of percentage, it was around average for the region. Earlier I spoke to Stephen Long, who's the Education Watchdog's Assistant Director for the South East. The fixed period rate in um, in Kent and Medway schools actually is uh, just around about the national average, um, a little bit below in the Kent schools. Um, and it is a, a concern, you know, it's around about 8% um, in Kent schools and around about 10% in, in the Medway schools. Um, it is a concern when, when youngsters are excluded from school, of course. Um, and we expect, um, you know, all schools to work towards avoiding that happening. Um, the fact that, that we've seen, you know, some quite good rises in um, in the proportion of good or better schools in, in both Kent and Medway um, suggests that during our inspections, we're finding schools by and large doing a good job in that area. Um, but in the new inspection framework, um, evaluating how well schools are supporting good behaviour is uh, a core part of, of what we do. So we are seeing some improvements, but uh, it's, uh, you know, still an area that, that, that uh, schools in those, those two local authorities need to focus on. I suppose when you look at it and see 10,000 fixed period exclusions, it sounds like an awful lot, doesn't it, over a year? It it does, and you know, uh, particularly when you when you think um, that within that there'll be a number of youngsters who'll be um, being excluded on a number of occasions, the repeat offenders, as it were. So it's uh, during our inspections that we need to work with schools and look at what they're doing to avoid the repetition um, of exclusions. Um, so it's a key part of what we're focusing on. Yes, it's a worry because obviously if children aren't in school, they're potentially less safe, um, and clearly they're not learning. You know, so it is one of the things that we're focused on, um, and. During our, you know, the introduction of our new inspection framework in September, um, the management of um, of behaviour and uh, and attendance, you know, is a key thing within what we're looking at in schools. The more particular areas of concern in Kent and the South East are around, you know, groups of children, particularly because by and large children do well in the South East. But if you've got special educational needs, and this is a, a pattern that we have seen across the country, you're likely to do much less well. And one of the things that we focused on during our area inspections of, of special educational needs and disabilities provision uh, is making sure that those children are getting a good deal. Um, and Kent was inspected under that framework or Kent's area because it's not an inspection of the local authority it's an inspection of joint services in in that that uh, local authority area um, and the area was asked to write a, a statement of action because you know there were improvements that needed to be made um, and that's fairly typical across the southeast we've um, as it across the country when we've done those area special educational needs inspections about half of local authority areas have been found not to be good enough um, and to have been asked to write um, statements of action to say how they're going to improve matters so that would be one of our principal 
principal areas for concern um, around special educational needs. The other one would be around schools that are stuck, uh, as we've termed it in the, um, the, the annual report. We've got a small proportion of schools in the southeast, about 1% that are stuck. Kent and Medway have um, slightly more than their fair share. There are 14 in Kent and five in Medway. And although we've got fewer of them in the southeast, if you are um, in an area served by a stuck school that's not been good since 2006, so that's for 13 years, um, you're just as likely to be, you know, badly served and, and frustrated as a pupil or as a parent um, by what's going on in that school. With that group of schools where, and they're very, very largely academies now, um, in not performing well enough when they were run by local authorities, they've been transferred into largely multi-academy trusts. And the multi-academy trusts have similarly found it tough to improve those schools. Um, you know, tough around issues like teacher or head teacher recruitment and retention. Um, therefore, it's difficult to build systems and, and um, good behaviour with children that lasts over time. Um, so, yeah, we, you know, th that's a group of schools that we're particularly concerned about. And the government has uh, signalled their concern. The Department for Education is going to work differently with those schools. We've signalled that we want to look differently at what we can do to support those schools because we've been telling them through inspection that they're not good enough for a long time and actually I think all parties now need to do something slightly different um, to move those schools forward um, for the communities that they serve. So if we could talk about the stats as well that show um, the percentage of primary and secondary schools good or outstanding they're quite high for Kent and Medway aren't they? They are, yes. I mean, for Medway, um, we've got, you know, over 80% of, of primary schools are, um, are good or better. It's slightly below our southeast average. It's gone up a little bit this year, but the primary area is a, a sector that Medway needs to improve on still. Um, secondary, um, that's gone up a little bit. Um, and actually, secondary schools, by and large, in Medway perform strongly. They're slightly above the southeast average of 86% good or better. And actually, that puts Medway secondary schools above the national figure. In Kent, um, we've got primaries, over 90% of, of Kent primaries are good or better, and that's gone up a little bit this year. Um, and uh, around 85-86% of Kent secondaries are good or better. And both of those figures are um, at or above the southeast average, and therefore above the, the national average. So primaries and secondaries in Kent perform well. Um, and the standards that are reached um, are, you know, in, in, um, in Kent are above the, the southeast average and above the national average. In Medway, the standards reached are slightly below the southeast average and below the national average. So if there's a, a sector that needs to improve really within the Kent and Medway area, it would be the Medway primaries have got a little bit of work to do. But as I say, that it's that group of SE and of, of youngsters with special educational needs and disabilities within those schools um, where performance needs to improve. Matt Dunkley, who's in charge of education at Kent County Council, has been giving us his thoughts on Ofsted's report. I think... Um that some seven or eight years ago, uh, when the council uh, as an area lagged behind the southeast averages and lagged behind uh, national levels, um, my predecessors uh, and the leadership of the council at the time uh, engaged on a, on a fairly focused school improvement strategy, which you have to say has worked. And uh, education and schools has always been a, a high priority for the members of Kent County Council, even with academisation and all the changes that have taken place, the, the councillors haven't uh, reduced their commitment and interest in education and they've committed 
resources above and beyond uh, what I would say is is uh, the case in some other councils um, to reflect that priority. So seven or eight years of very focused school improvement work, I think, have, have brought uh, rewards in terms of better uh, attainment for students, but also um, better Ofsted outcomes for schools so that we're now in the happy position of being above both the national and the southeast averages for uh, good and outstanding schools. We're certainly moving in the right direction at early early childhood and primary level. We're actually one of the leading authorities in the southeast at the end of key stage two for closing the gap for uh, disadvantaged pupils. So our primary schools are doing a great job on that. It does get more complicated and we are not performing as well at secondary. It is complicated by the fact that... Um, uh, in the southeast, we you know we have a, a higher proportion of selective schools, so that our uh, mix of ability in schools is slightly different. So you have a higher concentration in our non-selective schools of pupils from disadvantaged backgrounds, um, and we've got some things to address there. It is a priority for the council to try and close that disadvantage gap at the end of key stage four, and that's also related to some of the issues that were highlighted in our inspection of uh, special educational needs for the local area last year. Special educational needs is another area where we need to do much better. So it's a big focus. The next step for us in a generally improving picture in Kent is to really focus hard on closing the gap for disadvantaged students at Key Stage 4 and to improve our performance across the system for special educational needs. Kent Online reports. Five people have been arrested following a disturbance in Gravesend. Police and ambulance crews were called to Milton Road at about half seven last night. We're told two people were taken to hospital after suffering facial injuries. A rail worker who had been helping rehabilitate inmates at HMP Rochester has been jailed himself after being caught taking drugs into the prison. A court heard Jared Ishmael was coerced into bringing cocaine, cannabis and mobile phones in after he told guards he saw an illegal package being thrown over a prison wall. The 29-year-old from Southbury Road in Enfield admitted conveying prohibited articles into prison and has been locked up for 20 months. A Kent MP's warning extra carriages are needed to tackle overcrowding on high-speed trains through the county. Ashford's Damien Green has been speaking about South Eastern's HS1 service during a debate at Westminster Hall. Overall, it is one of the success stories uh, of the rail network, providing travel that's not only fast but more reliable uh, than most lines. And as I say, this is reflected in the passenger satisfaction uh, surveys. Now, uh, the bad news. The bad news uh, is that the service has become too popular for its own good. Overcrowding is a serious problem and a growing problem throughout uh, the line. Um, The operator, Southeastern, has tried to compensate by changing the number of carriages on the most popular peak hour services and improving the repairs and maintenance programme so that more of the rolling stock is available at any one time. Um, But this is not enough. Essentially, we need more rolling stock on the line. Passenger numbers have grown by an average of 11.7% every year since 2010. And there's no evidence that this increase in demand is going to slow down uh, in the future. Indeed, with major housing developments planned not just in Ashford but in in other uh, towns in Kent uh, along the line, we can expect uh, the opposite. So the need for extra train services and longer trains is clear. On current projections, 
31 high-speed services a day will be full to capacity by 2025, meaning that those passengers who are rightly complaining about having to stand uh, every day, having paid for expensive season tickets, may not be even to be able to get on the train. So things as it stands will get worse uh, rather than better. And on top of those 31 inaccessible services, there will be another 25 trains a day that will be standing room only. So uh, I think the, the scale of the problem uh, is becoming clear. The, uh, I've obviously uh, spoken to the, the rail industry in, in preparing for this debate, um, and Hitachi make, make interesting points uh, that the, the trains on it are specifically designed for the HS1 line and the Southeastern conventional network. It uses two different power sources, three different signalling systems on board, and so standard UK network trains can't be used. It is a, a special issue of how you uh, extend or, or replace the rolling stock uh, on this uh, particular line. And Hitachi themselves say uh, they would advise to plan for a lead time of the order of four years before new train sets can come into service on the line when you consider design time, procurement, testing and, and approvals for what is a specialist product. And for this timescale to be achieved, clarity on the future of the franchise at the earliest opportunity is vital. And of course the Minister will be aware uh, of the, the history uh, of the franchise, the difficulties uh, there have been, and indeed the succession of relatively short-term solutions uh, that have been brought into being to, to keep the franchise operating. And I uh, appreciate uh, the problems he and indeed uh, the operator in the industry more widely have faced uh, with the franchise, and, and, and this debate is not the time to discuss those. But uh, what I would plead for is that, the, uh, that some long-term thinking uh, can now be introduced, that if we continue simply to apply uh, short-term patches to the, the franchising or, or whatever is going to succeed franchising after the uh, review is published, that now is the time on this specific issue actually to uh, impose some long-term thinking and actually saying we need to start planning now if we're going to avoid uh, something that would be, um, would be tragic for the rail industry. It would be turning a success into a failure uh, in the future. Rail Minister Chris Heaton-Harris says the Department for Transport is looking into where extra carriages are required. Kent Online News. There's been another increase in the number of people in Kent who are out of work. Figures show 31,425 in the county were claiming jobless benefits in December, 275 up on the month before. Nationally, the number of unemployed dropped by 7,000 to just below 1.31 million in the three months to November. A man's been treated in hospital for a fractured cheekbone after being attacked by a gang outside a school in Greenhithe. He was with his girlfriend, who was also injured, when they were approached by three men and two girls outside Knockhall Primary on Sunday evening. Police are looking into what happened and so far no one's been arrested. People living in a block of flats in Tunbridge say they're frustrated. The underground car park remains flooded almost a month after heavy rain. Several vehicles have been written off after the downpour just before Christmas left part of Riverside House submerged. Thomas Cooney says it's had a big impact on everyone living there. There's a bike still down there. Um, 
slowly rusting away. And there's a, there's a couple other bikes down there as well. So it's not a great feeling. You don't really think about it too much, but it's inconvenient because the lifts are out of order, stuff like that. Uh, there's some older people here, people moving in, you see them having to take their, they have to do it by the stairs, which is, you know, it's not much fun. So it's, it's not great all in all, like four weeks is a bit too much really. It's just a bit poor really that it's taken so long and that nobody, there's been no sort of communication with us about anything. Matt Bolton from Tunbridge and Morling Borough Council says it's unacceptable. The point here is how long it's taken for the flood water to be taken out. And I think it's very disappointing that Pembroke as the management company here have not arranged for tankers to come and take the flood water away first. I mean, irrespective of what it costs, that is an obligation of them to do. That's why residents pay a service charge and that's what you expect them to do. And considering the lack of communication that some residents have felt as well, it's really, really disappointing that this hasn't happened yet and actually quite unacceptable. In an email to one of the residents, Pembroke Property Management said it is essential to carry out the required due diligence so they don't compromise any insurance claim. Kent Online reports. Southeastern staff have had a shock after a gun was left on a train at Faversham. Police were called following the discovery on Monday night. The weapon's being confirmed as a BB gun. At kentonline.co.uk you can see CCTV images of a man police are looking for after a car was stolen in Swanley. It was reportedly taken from the White Oak Leisure Centre car park on Hilda May Avenue last month. Officers have also released an image of a vehicle and want to speak to the owner. And the founder of a sitting volleyball team in Kent is calling for more funding in the sport to ensure Team GB is at a future Paralympics. While the women's team are going to try and qualify, it's understood the men's team won't be going to Japan 2020 because of a lack of cash. Darren Young has previously competed at the Invictus Games and set up Icon Warriors who train at Medway Park in Gillingham. He's been chatting to Nicola on Team Talk on KMTV. Darren, tell us a little bit more about sitting volleyball and why you've set up this club in Medway. So a lot of it is for um, anybody. That's the biggest statement, what you've got to get out there. It's for able-bodied people who possibly loss of limbs. Um, anyone can play at any ability whatsoever. I think a lot of people see that, that it's sitting down and you've got to be disabled. If you play in the, the National Grand Prix where there's um, 10 teams, 91 registered players, then from there you don't have to be disabled. When you go into international standard, then you have to be classified like the Paralympics. Olympics. Has it grown in popularity? I've been doing obviously a bit of research about sitting volleyball and since it's been in the Paralympics obviously more and more people get involved. Is that what you found? We're, that's what we're trying to do. Uh, one of the biggest things is funding side of things. Um, this we, we talk about the Paralympics. Uh, Great Britain aren't putting a team in. Uh, the ladies are going to try and get into a team. The men haven't got funding to put a team in for. We've got the European Championships later this year in June. Um, we look as though we're going to be putting um, a team in, um, but it's all self-funded. We've, we've been expected to pay between four and five hundred pound per player, and we've got to buy our own strip as well. Mm. There is no funding whatsoever. I believe that if from government level or sport uh, level from Volleyball England right the way down, if they had an injection of cash, the popularity in this would just go through the roof. 
Darren, it might be a game that people have seen on the telly before, but just chat us through the rules. Are they pretty similar to, to what we might have seen in standard volleyball? So standing volleyball is near enough exactly the same. You have three shots on either side. Um, there is a, a attack line uh, where you're allowed to hit the ball hard above head height. Um, you're allowed to move anywhere on the court, any player. The only rules are for sitting volleyball is that part of your torso from your bum right the way up to your shoulder has got to be touching the floor when you play a shot. So what happens is most people use their hands. Um, I use mine in a fist to try and move around a little bit quicker. Some people put their hands out. Uh, predominantly what you do is you get lots of calluses on hands and you get cuts and different things. But that is the main thing because when you're standing volleyball, if you need to move six inches to one side, you can move one leg and just get across. Mm in sitting volleyball what you've got to do is you've got to read the flight of the the ball get yourself across before you get your hands up ready to play and that is the biggest challenge of all within the sport itself everything else is near enough the same we heard about how inclusive it is anyone can play is this something that's being introduced in schools or are we not quite there just yet um, <clears throat> I've actually just been speaking to Mr Cross from Hempstead School uh, the first thing this morning and he's going to be asking me hopefully to go back and do some lessons um, for their under year sixes. Um, I went in there when I was part of the Invictus Games 18 months ago uh, but he's just asked me if I'd be interested in going back again. If we can start that from six, seven, eight, nine years old, um, taking them right the way forward, what we've got to think about is the Paralympics, not just the next one coming up, but the next year and the next generation of that. Um, I think the game is, it's one of those what tests you both physically and mentally. Um, and when you've got to think of two, three things at a time, it's extremely taxing. But over a period of training for so long, then I think it will be something what you pick up quite quickly. <laughs> and as you say, I mean, if we can get younger children getting involved, then you've got the next generation of players coming through. Uh, definitely. But what you've got to think about is for Paralympic standards, you've got to be classified. So you've got to have a disability. So you've got dis uh, disabled and mildly disabled. So I've got degenerative disc disease in my spine, spondylosis of the spine. So I will only possibly be mildly disabled. I'm going through classification at the moment to hopefully be part of uh, Team GB later in the year. You can watch the whole programme if you missed it on KMTV's website. That's it for now, but don't forget you can go to kentonline.co.uk for more news at any time. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast.